This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to episode 8 of 50 Minutes of Football Podcast in association with Big Heads Media and Transfer News Central. And the Johnny Bentley, uh, that's me, um, the face, the voice of charisma, of winning, of um, of just general success. And just to counter that... Are you going to keep this in? <laughs> just to counter that, we've got Jordan. Oh voice of God. misery. We will discuss four topics in approximately 15 minutes as Jordan ruffles his hedgehog-like hair. And Jordan, what are those topics? Well, you've done a little bit of a, a an away day, haven't you? For, for one of our topics today. You, you've talked um, the tune. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yes. So that's very good. Very good. You see, Toon is a link to Newcastle. Newcastle is a link to a topic that I did with a fantastic South African journalist, David Mbua, who is a huge Newcastle fan and sports junkie. And we, I talked to him uh, early this week on Sunday, I think, just after the Newcastle game. And he was in mixed spirits. Safe to say, I don't think he likes Steve Bruce or Jeff Hendrick. That's a shame. Uh, I think it's a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's just one of those things. I think he speaks on behalf of many Newcastle fans. We are going to talk about that in uh, section three. But the first two things we're going to have a little chat about is um, is Tottenham Hotspur, Jose unlocking the uh, the door for attacking potential, and also it was a big uh, big day at the top. Man City lost their first game. Uh, Well, they 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 did or they didn't win. Uh, the first game in 21, the 22nd game. Lose to Man United. But who exactly is the best team in England or the best team challenged to take Manchester The best of the rest. Yeah, essentially, that's a good way of putting it. And then we'll look at the rest of Europe and Scotland. Uh, big win for big title for Steven Gerrard. Lots of things going on elsewhere as well. The Classica drama, Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid. Barcelona's got a new president. So it makes sense to have a bit of a mash around everywhere that's not England uh, and uh, the Premier League um, for this podcast. So we'll start actually with with, with Jose, with Tottenham, with Mourinho. Um, it's been, uh, we talked last time about will it be a success at Tottenham? We both said that the squad doesn't seem to be good enough. Now he's changed it slightly, and even though the defence doesn't seem to be good enough, he said, "You know what? I'm gonna, I'm going to unlock out a bit of out position. Yeah, outgun the opposition. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it. Uh, key tweet probably, uh, even though he didn't play against uh, Crystal Palace, moving in Dombele from the number ten to a to a double yeah. pivot, uh, yeah. which unlocks the door for another attacking player." They're playing without Eric Dyer, usually with Davidson Sanchez, actually, with the under, probably with the impression that Davidson Sanchez much faster than Eric Dyer, which means they can play with a higher line, they can get forward more, and they can do a bit more attacking. So what do you make of new-look Jose? Uh, well, I think it's quite good, actually. And I think the, the, the key, really, is Gareth Bale. I think his form recently has been tremendous. I mean, he, he came on against West Ham and he completely changed the game. and then. Although they didn't get the result they wanted, that earned, that that gave him the start against Burnley, and since then he's really kicked on. He he took Burnley apart, which I know is pretty depressing for you, but it was yeah. it was entertaining for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as I say, he's kicked on. He's played well, and he's getting goals as well. Quite depressing for your fantasy goalkeeper as well that week. One of them. Um, <laughs> it was indeed. Know, so it yeah. wasn't good, was it? it? No, and, and and many many Burnley owned uh, fantasy managers with Burnley assets in, in at the back. Um, I actually think, yeah, uh, it's really hard as well because we do do this uh, trying to preempt where this might go. And in reality, he's played. Uh, you know, Tottenham have played Burnley, Crystal Palace, and uh, sorry. Burnley, Fulham and Crystal Palace in that order. Uh, three mm-hmm. teams you just uh, that are towards the bottom of the table. Three teams without a lot of goals in them. So, in many three ways... Three games that you'd maybe expect them to win. Yeah. So, and yeah, it, essentially, that's that's the case. But what I think the, the point is, is that in the short-term past, i.e. this season, they played in some of these games, particularly Crystal Palace, maybe taken the lead, not carried forward that momentum, maybe taken the foot off the gas a little bit, gone more with a defensive emphasis, and they've ended up losing points when they could yeah. have been 
but you know flying away into a into a significant advantage so is it a case of maybe don't read too much into the unlock or is it maybe actually yes because not too long ago these were some of the games that Tottenham were were not finding convincing results in I think either way it's a good sign for Spurs I, th- I think there is maybe a little bit more we need to see a little bit more particularly in the bigger games but as, you, as you've kind of said it, it's a good sign and the fact that they're, they're not just winning 1-0 and they are pushing it a little bit harder it is, is, is something that's going to benefit them throughout the season and I think that I mean just Bale coming in, into the side it's made them look a lot more threatening generally anyway because it's maybe it's maybe reduced the staleness in the in the attack because I mean there was a point where Kane and Son looked unstoppable, but suddenly they're getting marked, uh, they're getting doubled up on both of them, uh, and I think Bale that provides a little bit more uh, and adds maybe a, an extra a body in the attack that defenders have to mark and gives more space to the others as well. Yeah, so we, we we sort of headline this or high headline this in my head as the Jose Mourinho changes tactic, and you you sort of steal that narrative and go it's Gareth Bale's moment really well, not Jose Mourinho. who's really put who's put Bale in the in the in the line like though Jose there you yeah. go there's your well, narrative is it is it is it a case of tough love has paid off though or or, or do you or do, or do you know many people look and think why didn't he do this four three four months ago or is it a case of Gareth Bale was that much out in the cold his career was that much in the wastelands that it needed genuinely this amount of time for him to get up to speed mentally, physically, work out that he has to adapt his game because he doesn't have the same speed that he used to have. Yeah. Is that time frame between the start of the season and, say, February, was that absolutely necessary, do you think? Or would you look at it and think, why hasn't he done this earlier? Because if he did it earlier, Tottenham might be in with a more realistic chance of top four. No, I, I do think he's kind of needed this period to adapt. And uh, as you've kind of said, he's not maybe not got that burst of pace that he had when he was a little bit younger. Although he did absolutely fly past, I think it was uh, Charlie Taylor against Burnley. I mean, he's still, he still got a bit of a kick to him. Um, but yeah, I think he did just need that extra time to adapt. And it, it's come at a, a good time for Spurs and a good time for Jose because this is obviously the, the business end of the year. It's still slightly concerning that he only seems to be able to play an hour a game, but either way, I think it's going to be going to be a good thing in the long term for them. Yeah, I mean, Bale obviously key to that, and Don Bale going back is something I touched on a bit more yeah, of no, a I, tactical I nuance that. that you know the the amateurs like yourself wouldn't have noticed. But <laughs> what do you think maybe um, that does to? Tottenham, I mean, and Dombele actually came as a midfielder who would be in a double pivot, not a number 10 as such. He was more renowned for that, I feel. And some people even said that he could have been the lone six, which I think maybe is a bit of a stretch, but some people suggested it. And then obviously under Mourinho, he struggled, came into the fold as a 10 because there was less defensive responsibility required for the 10. Now he's further back. Does that? I think that does that show two things. Does that show jo- Jose Mourinho now trusts him and now has his full support? And also, does it show that um, that by doing that, as I alluded to before, it does make Tottenham more creative because it's solving the dilemma they had before of not having a creative six. And by having that creative six, you can then put someone else in that ten, like a Deli Ali or a Lucas Moura, and add even more venom to that attack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's obviously benefited them creatively because it's it, as you say, it adds that extra body that is is creative. Uh, and yeah, I agree that he's maybe not suited to the lone six, but he's he's almost kind of built in that Perlo role, isn't he? Where he he can dictate the play from deep, and he looks he looks very good actually when he's doing that. And he maybe looks better doing that than when he was playing as a number ten for Spurs. So it's a, a very good tweak and one that I think will be effective throughout the rest of the season as well. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those, and, and the new life we've seen under under Tottenham is very it's a very short sample, very short term sample, and it's difficult to to really give any assurances at this moment in time. But as far as as far as it's looking at, based on that short sample space, 
do you are you buying into the the idea that Mourinho might have adapted his own style and philosophy to suit the needs of of the modern game, or do you think actually you know what you can't really judge that now? You can only judge that at the end of the season if he gets another season or or, or something along those lines because. You know, it, it, it again. It is only three games against three teams. You'd expect Tottenham to attack him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's really adapted his his mentality that much. I think it's just kind of as you say, it's the shift in in the way in the way he's maybe moulded his team uh, and made it more creative. And it's still solid at the back generally. I think more than anything against the the goal against Palace for Benteke was a defensive error by uh, Sanchez more than anything else. And I think that that is the thing that's going to hold them back uh, if they do have uh, their eyes on silverware or the top four. I think that's yeah. the issue, is defensive errors rather than maybe Jose's tactics. Well, I mean, we we, we both, uh, you know, were in favour of Jose Mourinho's slightly pragmatic yeah. approach in, in, in games because we said the squad wasn't good enough. And actually, against in, a, in the FA Cup game against Everton, I think that showed. You know, the 5-4 where Everton were a bit haphazard at the back, but Tottenham were worse. Uh, you know, Hugo Lloris, a, a pale imitation of the goalkeeper, I think, that was for many years one of the best in the league. I don't think he looks anywhere near that now, and that's probably a, 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 fact, a symptom of age. Getting older, not having the same flexibility, the same, the same reactions as he maybe once did. Um, it's also down to defenders, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, that brilliant partnership, it's been broken. And quite frankly, Alderweireld's not as good as he was either. No. It's down to not having a, a right-back, really, who you'd consider to be top six, top seven worthy at the club. Um, only position, really, that's in, in the defensive areas. That Well, the, I suppose you've got Hoiberg, who, who's a very capable defensive midfielder, and you've got yeah, he's, he's Reglion. Reglion, who's a very capable left back, even if Roy Keane's not too sure about that himself. <laughs> um, but it does leave your goalkeeper, your two centre backs, and your right back, and, and that they're they're big question marks all, all round, really. Um, and like you say, I think we we've said in the previous podcast, will Jose Mourinho be successful? Now we're saying, will Jose Mourinho change his tactics? In those three games, it made sense to because they are three teams with low. Uh, goal scoring expectations bestowed upon them for you know, the fact they just don't score very many goals. Everton, team that scored more goals, obviously, than those three, when Tottenham tried to open up against them, capitulated really. Well, not capit- they scored goals themselves, of course, but they also conceded five. So that's kind of a barometer, I suppose. And against City, three, and it could have been more. So You've you've always got that balance, haven't you? When, when Tottenham play a harder team than the teams that they've played in recent weeks, yeah. albeit these are three good results, and Fulham are competitive at the moment, by the way. And yeah, Fulham are a great side of this at the minute. But, but when they play in the bigger teams, and you might you might be expecting Mourinho to carry out these same tactics with Bale and Lucas Moura and Son and Kane, it might not be quite as simple as just just applying yeah. that same logic to some of those games. I think I think the the key the key thing to kind of remember is that Jose Mourinho is one of the all time greatest managers. He is well aware that his defense isn't good enough and that the players are making silly errors, and that is kind of why he has been so pragmatic. And yeah, yeah exactly. It's worked well to to change the tactics against the worst teams, but let's just wait and see if he does the same against sides that will come back at you. And, uh, but is there a point then? I mean, I mean to be fair, that even when you look at the tactics, and it was very attacking, it was quite open, uh, quite a few counter attacks in there as well. Not necessarily lo- lots of passages of play as such. Uh, again, like you might see at other clubs, uh, is the attacking philosophy is it? It's not something really that that comes with the Jose Mourinho remit, is it? Attacking patterns of play, it's more defensive organisation and. Uh, and, and, and structured attacks. I don't think it's as intricate as maybe Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, someone like that, uh, when it comes to moving the ball forward. But is there still reason, do you think, to, you know, after this year, even if Jose Mourinho doesn't win a, a trophy at Tottenham, is there still reason to think, you know what, one more year left on your contract, back him in the transfer market? Or is it a manager now with a few too many question marks to really throw money at long term with, in the middle of a, coronavirus pandemic 
I think it's a very good question. I think it really depends on 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 what Daniel Levy is wanting from from his manager. And if Jose doesn't win a, a title this season, then it's almost a case of you can throw everything at him and you can have a, a good chance at a trophy where next season. Whereas I don't think that getting a new manager will have the same ch- opportunity that Jose brings. But in in terms brings, of specifically winning a title, yeah, no, a, a trophy probably is better. Uh, a trophy, yeah, yeah, title's a bit off. But good link, actually, really to topic two, which is well, I don't know if it's a good link, but hey ho, it, it, it's, it's a link, link in my eyes. A link in my eyes. Um, so obviously, Manchester derby this weekend, huge result, really. Uh, Manchester United extend their unbeaten away record. Manchester City lose their remarkable winning streak. Uh, shocked me, shocked quite a few others. Um, United, very, very, very good. But question is, and the question for this topic is, who is the best of the rest? Who is the best outside of the obvious champion? Who is the best outside of the team that's running away with this Premier League title and still has eyes on a quadruple? Don't think. They'll In get other words, who might finish second? Well, no, it, it is and it isn't because again, you look ahead to next season, the team that finishes second might finish sixth. It's been that kind in, in the following season. It's been that kind of ridiculous campaign. And there's so many teams. I mean, I would argue now, and you, you probably disagree as you put in the notes, but some of the notes are sarcastic in the notes, uh, will not be repeated on air on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, they include n- nasty words. Can't repeat. Uh, unless you want to add a swearing section, sort of an offensive section of something like that. But we won't let's do not it. do that. No, let's, let's not, not do, that. do that. But I think that Liverpool's 11, strongest 11, fully fit, firing, still has the capacity to be the best 11 of any club in the Premier League. Now, that owes a lot to the hunger of the players that are on the pitch. And I mean, there's been question marks about that recently. Um, whether I think to be honest at the start I think it was almost not having that defensive protection with the centre-backs as it was we touched on with Matt Addison before and, and, and with us with you before, detail, with me. yeah yep yeah, talked about the centre-backs black of it which start a platform for a high line right now I think they're probably playing with two championship centre-backs um, championship standard centre-backs well we'll say championship we'll say football league standard centre-backs that don't have are blessed with pace so it's not the recipe for a team that's going to, you know, successfully push No, but I do agree that when their team is fully fit, then they probably are right up there in terms of the quality of the first 11. But yeah, yeah. in terms of this season, do I think they'll finish second? No. But that's not the question, though, is so, it? It's the question is, who is the best? I think that is not. the question, because well, who well, is you, the best of the rest this season? Because I... No, well, what, what, I said, who's the best of the rest? And you went, who's the best of the rest this season? There's two very different questions. That's because I'm really, really enjoying Liverpool being bad. Yeah, uh, Everton fan bias. But it is... I think, I think this is the thing, because that's why it's such an important question. Who is the best of the rest isn't necessarily who finishes second. It is, but it isn't. Um, in the in the in the large grand scheme of things, and when you look at the way, you know the the way this season's going for Liverpool, it's like it's like Murphy's Law, not the pundit Danny Murphy, but Murphy's Law, just the sake of it. I'd argue it's go, the same thing. You argue it's the same thing. Not the most popular guy at times, but everything that will go wrong can go wrong, will go wrong, um, and it just feel like that with Liverpool. As I say, that centre back base that they, they build so much from Van Dijk, Gomez, and Matip can play Fabinho there. All of those curtailed. And then in midfield, Fabinho Henderson, brilliant uh, with the energy, the industry, the craft. Uh, well, not so much the craft, but just the stopping really, and and, and setting the tone, and and being being physical, being aggressive, offering energy that goes. Um, and you lose a lot of the personality of the team. And I think all of that really does affect your forwards. And right now, we, you you almost see the forwards, and people question the forwards. Don't look that involved, interested. They don't look up for the fight as much. I think a lot of that stems from the injuries behind and the lack of cohesion and the lack of identity now for a team. No, almost it like, it and it's like madness, isn't it? Doing the same thing again and again, expecting things to change with all the injuries. You know, it's almost like putting a blindfold on and saying, right, lads, go out there and, and, and do the same thing we did to win the title. And, and I, I don't, you know, I understand why next season everyone's back. Yeah, go with that. Right now, short term, it's not working. They're losing game after game after game after game. I've suggested back three. I know Matt Addison thought that wasn't a good idea. I I do because 
honestly, the the something needs to happen short term, just short term, anything, absolutely anything. I think the big thing for me is the high line is just suicidal at the minute because of the lack yeah. of quality in the yeah. centre backs and the lack of pace. Whether it is going to a back three or just sitting substantially deeper than they do. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I agree that something needs to give in order for them to to change the way it's going for them. Yeah, but like, like just what I mean, best of the rest. You, again, from the first eleven perspective, they are easily. And if they came all back and they got the hunger back, and uh, they they to be honest, if they weren't in any European tournament, as I tweeted earlier uh, last week, when they weren't in any European tournament, the Conference League. I didn't forget about the Europa Conference League. Actually, I think you'll find. No, it was a thing. No, I didn't know it was a thing, and I think you'll find that as a Liverpool, any Liverpool fan will tell you that they feel above that, and they wouldn't take. I would put the under twenty threes in it. Honestly, I just don't think. Well, you say that, but then I, I think Klopp would would take it seriously. I mean, well, I, I'm not the same Klopp. guy. I'm, I'm the Johnny. This is Benzer, the same guy who took them all to play the, the Club World Cup, which was completely yeah, useless but, as well. But that, no, but that's more of a that's more of a we've won the Champions League and now we're putting a cherry on the cake, isn't it? Whereas what's the club what's the cl- uh, the 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 conference league? The Europa Conference League is finishing yeah. seventh and putting the cherry on top. I, I don't yeah, I just I think a clean break from Europe could be the could be the thing they wanted. Uh, you know, most of the country voted leave Jordan. You know, they, oh, they voted to leave Europe, and Burnley maybe, maybe I never voted leave. Maybe, <laughs> um, maybe that's what they need a little bit—not from the European Union, but from Europe itself, the European competition. Because if they get You've all of these players here. back, if they get all of these players back, as I say, next season they will have. They can have. I'm not going to say they will have because there's a lot of questions still. But I wouldn't be surprised if they gave a good challenge there, and, and and the lack of Europe could help because they still have a small squad. I've read recently that it seems like they're not going to have a big summer of investment, so it's going to be similar, and they're going to they're quite reliant on bringing the injured players back and treating them like new scientists. Um, and will those injured players be at the same level they were before their injury? I'm it's not a lot so of questions. Sure. Right now, I do think they are the second best. Well, no, I'm arguably I, the best level. Probably agree with that, but yeah. as I say, for this season, I don't think they're anywhere near it. But obviously, that wasn't the question. But yeah, okay. Uh, so it can be the question. It's a it's a flexible question. It's a beautiful, it's a flexible, flexible question. question. So what else um, do we have? What which other teams got, do we have we, up there? We have a. I mean, United are probably going to get second. Man United are probably going to get second. And um, I don't think they will. You know, but yeah, go on. Anyway, well, you think they probably will, and. I mean, I, 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 Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets a lot of slander, partly because, well, well go to episode two or three and you that, that, that discusses that in a lot more detail. But I think that it is partly, well, it is because of his CV, but I think that he is doing a remarkable job with, it, with, a, with, a, with a squad, really, that's not at the same level as some of the other teams. Well, no. I mean, I think a few. Bruno is... Perhaps at least he's one of the best, and I would say the most effective player outside of Manchester City this season, at least. Yeah. And I think that that is one massive thing that's gonna is is not carrying them. I'm not going to say he's carrying them, but he's definitely shouldering a lot of weight, and, and he has been exceptional this season. I think what he's done well with is that he's basically had a a non-starter of a. Of a, of a summer window, really. It didn't really, you know, they brought a lot of squad player kind of, they got brought a few squad player kind of players in. No one to really, no statement signing, no uh, no extravaganza. They were linked with Sancho all summer. It felt like it was an inevitability. It never happened. Uh, obviously, Cavani's come in. He's older now. Uh, he's actually made quite a good impact, but he can't play every game, gets his injuries. Van der Beek came in, probably wasn't Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's signing, but he's sort of in the background as well. Tellez has come in and it's actually helped Shaw, but that fair play Shaw's to Solskjaer, about, fair play to Solskjaer for almost using yeah. that and, and getting that out of him. Uh, so I think he's done really well in the sense that they didn't really push on in that summer window when many thought they should have done, given that they got the Champions League. And that meant many people at the start of the season were saying, well, writing's on the wall for Solskjaer because he's done as, he's, he's got an extra lot out of the players the season before, got them into the top four. And then and then, and then this season, this was the chance to get one or two new players in to freshen up the squad. They didn't really do it properly. Or the Cavani's been in and out. Sure, uh, no one's really come in and, and, and made a statement 
in that summer. So I, I think people thought there'd be a, there'd be a, almost a, a regression, and it hasn't really happened. And what 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 I'd say is that it's testament to how good a relationship I think he has with the players that are usually a, a few average results are usually met by a big response, a good response. Um, and and you know you've got to you've got to credit that I think. Yeah, well, especially non-bigger than than winning the derby, breaking yeah. Manchester's Man City's <laughs> winning Man. streak. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's a different website, a bit, sl- that, a bit of a slip of the tongue, that. <laughs> a bit of a, a different um, website. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. No, so yeah, I think he has done a very good job. But I, as I say, I don't think that they will finish second, and I don't think they are the best of the rest. I actually think that since Thomas Tuchel's come in, yeah. Chelsea have been just so solid, particularly at the yeah. back. Yeah, I think I think they'll finish second this season. Hand it's on heart. funny Chelsea's an expensively assembled squad. It's almost like uh, last summer when Frank Lampard was there, they did play almost a game of it's like Roman Abramovich had gone to the proverbial casino, thrown lots of money yeah. everywhere, and coming with yeah. lots of different prizes. Um, and it's almost like lots of lots of sort of you know options. What do we do with all of them? And and, and in, in in many ways, I can you can go to sort of sympathise with Frank Lampard, who oh absolutely not I mean, the most experienced of managers. Another episode, haven't we? I mean, it, it, it was just almost too much, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. Eventually, and like, like, he was getting flack. Non-stop. He was getting flack for for playing uh, Mason Mount every game. Who's I mean, even under Tuchel, he's playing every game and he's playing yeah. well every game. Yeah, uh, I think. That, I just think that they're such a good side defensively yeah. and that's the funny thing really is because they spent all that money on attackers and it's the defence that uh, has really been the the, the the driving force. I think Thomas Tuchel really is the, is the most intricate tactician outside of Guardiola in terms of what he does with players on the football pitch. You see the difference. I mean, no, Frank Lampard... I agree with that. Frank Lampard had a solid first season, everyone seems to forget, where he did have Chelsea playing some decent football and he did do quite well with the squad that he had. Uh, for a variety of reasons, it didn't work out in his second season. But you see the difference between the the team that finished Lampard's reign and the team that started under Tuchel, and so many little intricacies. I think, uh, particularly with how they defend now, how they build up, how they keep the ball, how they almost it almost feels always quite safe the way they keep the ball, but they do get the ball forward deceptively quick um, in some instances and. And yeah, I, I would say tactically he's ahead of almost everyone, probably except for Guardiola. I, um, yeah, no, I'd agree. And I think the other big thing is I would also expect Abramovich to throw a lot more money at it this summer. Well, you say that, but what did he do last summer? You know, he spent an absolute fortune he did. to make up for two windows. And you can, and you're telling me that I mean they link with Early Haaland. Fair enough, everyone is. They spent £140 million on two Germans to, to lead the attack. Yeah? I mean, well, what does what does that do? If you bring in early Holland, where does that leave Kai Havertz? I think I think you could fit all three of them in, in one. Early Haaland, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner and Mason Mount, all in the same team. You, I mean, you could do that. Not in the way he's playing right now, but so as you said, Thomas Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel is such a, an intricate manager Zayich. with his tactics. Yeah, right, you can't fit all of those the in the same really? 11. But that's exactly what we we praise City for, is having Sammy such good Abraham. squad depth. I mean, that's not on the same level, really. No, I'm only, I, 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 don't, I agree. No, I, to be honest, I, I think a lot of people are sort of with that camp. But yeah, I think, yeah, Tuchel's tactical nows could help Chelsea a lot. Uh, Liverpool have the best 11 and under Jürgen Klopp, they have a winning manager. So that means they could easily be the best of the rest. Just, just um, just not at home at the moment. No. Uh, <laughs> crazy that actually. When you go back a few months and they were imperious at Anfield. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd, I'll be honest. This is the thing where you look at Tottenham. The, the, there's still so many things wrong with that squad. But then you look at Man United. You say, well, they've got issues as well, Man United. But for some reason, Solskjaer's found ways of improving what he's had without whinging too much, and we're just getting on with it. Um, having a really good relationship with all his players being overly positive in all these interviews and then I think I think he's got a slightly better group than what Mourinho has although I do remember when Mourinho went into the Tottenham job he made a point of saying in the on the Amazon documentary cameras he felt that Tottenham squad was better than Man United squad so mm-hmm. um, yeah it may, may be all these good as Solskjaer's man management if not 
his, his overall management and maybe his tactics. I think one standout feature is 100% his man management. I don't think you could probably name a player that dislikes Solskjaer at Man United and, and doesn't want to play for him. I don't think you could. Um, so I think his likability with the squad. Not Paul. Paul Pogba doesn't doesn't not like Ali Gunnar. No, he, he does. But he, he, I definitely think he wants out. <laughs> he might want out, but it doesn't mean he doesn't like the manager. I think he does like the manager. He hated Mourinho by all accounts. So. Um, you know, that's just that. And, and, and I don't, I don't know, you, we, we not even spoke about Leicester and, and their Or West Ham. Or West Ham, yeah. I, I mean, if, we, if we're talking about second place this season, hmm. look, I think it's going to be Chelsea. I've, I've already said that. But they're well in it. They're well in the race. Who? Both West Ham and Leicester. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think Leicester's been for, Leicester's the best ranked club. Best ranked club of the, of the top they're, seven. <laughs> Their recruitment is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That means they're the, they're the best round club. They, they sell for make they sell for a lot of money. They recruit sometimes often better than the people they've sold. Um, they've got a wonderful manager who's also one of the best tacticians in in the Premier League. I would say in Brendan Rodgers, also a very the, good. The man worry manager. with Rodgers is just how consistently it seems to fall away at this point in the season. And yeah. I know that he's he's had so many injuries this season. Yeah. And I mean, the same time is happening to Klopp. So it's obvious that it happens to good managers, but it's not the first time it's happened. It, it is a concern that it happens every season, seemingly, to Rodgers. Okay. That's fine. Cool. You're not a big Brendan Rodgers fan? Though? Well, no, I, I, I'm it's a fan of what thing. he does, but okay. I think there no, are question fine. marks. It's fine. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, good. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> you don't like Brendan Rodgers. Um, so, yeah, moving <laughs> on then. It. Introduced now. Well, Jordan won't hear this. Maybe he will. I don't know. David Boer, wonderful uh, South African uh, journalist, big fan of the show, talking to me about Newcastle's problems under Steve Bruce. And spoiler, he doesn't like Steve Bruce. So, welcoming a special guest now, our wonderful fan from Ghana, Mr. David Boer, journalist, but most importantly, big Newcastle fan. How are you, David? Uh, I'm doing good, Johnny. Uh, a little bit better. Uh, a little bit better, I think, after today's game, but uh, not quite there yet. No, no. Well, I have to ask, really, and I'll start. I, I think it's fair to say Newcastle have had quite a, a poor season by what many uh, fans were expecting. And if you could say the most disappointing thing about Newcastle season, what would it be? I, I think the fact that we still have Steve Bruce is disappointing. Um, so many teams, when when the side is uh, on a very, very bad, bad uh, downward trajectory. I mean, we've been on a bad slide. It's been m- several games without a win. I don't know if it's two, two in 18 or something. I, I mean, management has to be changed. You just cannot... Uh, sit back and watch the rot just spread. I think by now we should have gotten rid of him. Um, I've tried to be a bit diplomatic about this issue on Twitter and stuff because he's a human being and stuff like that, but deep down, Bruce has to go. I think the most disappointing thing is that he's still at the helm of the team. So, well, that, that's very to the point and that's good. Uh, you're not a big fan of Steve Bruce. I mean, I, I can understand there's so many, so much negativity towards the manager. What is it in particular that you don't like about Steve Bruce? What do you not like about him? Uh, what, what forms your negative opinion? I mean, too much negativity. Um, sometimes you look at the, the team sheets, you keep wondering why some players are starting like uh, take today's game against West Brom, for example. Joe Linton, I think he shouldn't have started. Uh, I think someone like Jamal Lewis, no. Matrici is, uh, I think he's coming towards the end of his career, but I think he's still uh, a proper player. He has loads of Premier League experience. The job he did at Bournemouth was good, but there's some, uh, there's some players who just should not be starting. The minute you look at that team, she always is negativity. Someone like Jeff Hendrick. I mean, Burnley were willing to sell him. Why are we willing to buy someone like that? Um, 
so the part of the negativity is also in uh, the team he names. The other issue is the tactics. I think we're, I think the, the reverse fixture, we beat West Brom, but I think it was just narrowly. If it was, I think it was 20, if I'm not wrong. But it was so negative. We took an early lead, and after that, we just sat back. All of a sudden, it's like we are trying to defend a lead for 80-plus minutes against a team that's bottom. You look at uh, games like Sheffield United, teams that were really, really far behind Newcastle, and you just sit back and it's like, look, all we need is a point. When you mentioned negativity, Rafa Benitez's style was quite negative, certainly to watch. So what would you say then is the difference between those two? Because I imagine that you liked Rafa Benitez. Most Newcastle fans liked Rafa Benitez and liked what he was doing with the club. Is that because you felt there was a direction under Rafa Benitez that isn't there under Steve Bruce? Yes. Um, I think it, it, it does sound unfair. Um, I think even if we would have been relegated with Rafa at the head at the helm, I think guys would have still we would have felt bad, but I mean it's Rafa Benitez. I think we would have easily forgiven him. The problem with Bruce is that, and I say this with tremendous amount of respect as somebody who's been a player, who's been a coach, but Bruce is not the kind of manager that a club as big as Newcastle, a club that was playing season in, season out, regular Champions League football uh, during the time of Sir Bobby Robson. Rafa Benitez, you can imagine if he was given the kind of backing that fans want with, the, with the, the expected Saudi takeover. Rafa will take us in a certain direction. He's done that with teams before, with quality players. But if you look at our squad, the kind of people that are being brought in when Steve Bruce is there, you don't see any direction. I just mentioned Jeff Hendrick. I mean, that's, that's a retrogressive transfer. For a team that's supposed to be playing progressive football, those are not the kind of players you bring in. And that just shows the kind of mentality that a manager like Steve Bruce has even when you have the chance to bring a player on loan, you don't bring somebody who can spark the team. You just bring people who sort of sit back or people who play negative football. So, I, so in my opinion, with Rafa, it's just that he probably didn't have the support. I mean, not he probably, he didn't have the support. Mike Ashley obviously like, likes running the club in a certain way. But with Bruce, it seems like the two of them feel just comfortable. And clearly it's like... If this was allowed to go on, the club would not really progress anywhere. Is Steve Bruce getting all of the abuse because he's an easier target than Mike Ashley? Because Mike Ashley, he gets a lot of abuse from the Newcastle fans, but realistically, he won't sell unless a big bid comes in. He's milking the club to make profits for him. You know, He doesn't necessarily have the ambitions of the fans. And that's why Steve Bruce is there. That's not Steve Bruce's fault. So is the fan frustration at Bruce really a secondary attack, if you will, towards Ashley because he's Ashley's man? I think it's I think it goes both ways. I'm I mean Ashley is not really doing enough for the club as any owner should. I mean, if you look at what uh has happened at clubs like Leicester and Leeds, I think the owners are really fully invested in the clubs, not yeah. just as uh, a business venture or a profit-making entity. I think some of the, I think some of the bad decisions that Mike Ashley is making. I, I think you can. People have seen it at United, a bit of Arsenal, like where the the hierarchy is just making things difficult for the manager. Mm. But I think if now back to, I mean that's Ashley and really trying to force him. I don't know if fans have enough power. I think yeah. guys at United, at United, with all due respect, is one of the big clubs. The fans have not really been able to force the hands of the Glazer or of the Glazers, yeah. like to like sell the club and stuff like that. So I think you we will probably have to work with what we have. And if that's Mike Ashley, then there's not really much that, that can yeah. be done. That's so the true. thing is up to the coach to try and keep the club there. Because if his hands are tied, then he can try and do the best he can. 
whatever little room he's given, he should make the best out of it. And I'm sorry to go back to this point. Don't bring people like Jeff Hendrick. Bring a progressive person. Make one or two very good signings that will transform the team. And ultimately, look, even if we go to the championship, which will be a nightmare. I mean, other clubs have slid even further. We yes. see Sunderland is in, Sunderland have gone way below and they're in League One, but stuff like this should not be happening. The coach can try and motivate the players to do better and he can do his best. I mean, look at uh, Sean Dyche, what he's mm. doing with Burnley. The style might be a bit negative, a bit dull, but he gets the job done. And that's, that's what we need. Bruce, at the very least, with whatever little resources Ashley is giving him, should make Newcastle, at the very least, a team that can finish 11th or 12th. So Mike Ashley might be ruining the club. He might be holding on for it for whatever reasons, be it money, be it selfishness, or whatever it is. It's, it's a little bit out of control if he's the one who owns the club with uh, both hands, uh, unlike other ventures where maybe you find other people. But I think Bruce should be able to do more with what he has and whatever room he's given, he should make the most out of it. Okay, then. Can Newcastle survive? Mm -hmm. And well, will Newcastle survive? And if they do, how do they survive? How do they manage to get themselves out of this rut? <sighs> That's very difficult. Um, I watched. I watched the game against West Brom. I think we were lucky to get a point. I watched Liverpool's game against Fulham. Yeah. Fulham, you could say, to some extent, deserved to beat Liverpool. But Liverpool are on a, big, are on a terrible run at the moment. Yeah. But this is the thing. Fulham have ground out some very, very decent results recently. We've not been able to do that. We face Aston Villa next. I don't know if Jack Grealish will be back. If he's back, I think we'll lose that one. Brighton were very unlucky against Leicester. Yeah. They've been very unlucky throughout the course of the, uh, course of the season. So the two teams that I ideally, the two teams, because I think Burnley is also in around there, but Burnley, I think, can, they can make their way out of trouble. Okay. So the two teams that ideally, yeah, <laughs> the two teams that ideally we are competing against are Fulham and Brighton. Fulham are very progressive. They have very, some very good players. Brighton are just unlucky. But if they just manage to snap that uh, bad streak, that's it. We, on the other hand, don't seem to be doing anything. I mean, it was very, very painful. I think it was the Carabao Cup. I actually placed a bet on Brentford to beat Newcastle. That's how sure some of us fans know that it's just going to end up badly. And at this point in time, it looks like we're just going to lose and keep on losing until we'll find ourselves in the relegation zone and probably even a drift of teams like Fulham. I mean, the gap between Fulham and Newcastle was quite big at, at some point. It's just down to one point. West Brom have been a bit unlucky, but they're also not far behind. It's just, I think, what can you say? Maybe three wins. You can imagine if we lose the next three games and they win the next three, I think they'll be level on points with Newcastle. Yeah. That's how bad it is. So I think it's a, it's a little bit tough. You have to grind out some results, and I don't know if that is going to happen. Mm. But if that happens, Bruce has to go because the next season, a team like Norwich will come. Norwich are playing very well in the championship. I think they should be able to survive. And if teams come out like what we've seen from the championship this season, I mean, one of the Premier League teams will be sucked in. And if we remain with this same mentality of this Bruce football, mm. then we'll just go. And, and very just briefly then, obviously that's thinking ahead, but for the next March, April, May, three months, 10, 10 or so games to go. What happens then? How does it turn around? Is it, a sake, is it the case of hopefully getting St. Maximum back as soon as possible and building from there? Or do you, you've already said this squad doesn't have many players who will show grit and 
the the steel that maybe Burnley have or or another team that likes to defend. So it, it's looking quite worrying at the moment. But can I don't think Steve if Steve Bruce doesn't go, can he find a way to see New, Newcastle home before for the end of the season so that they're playing in the Premier League? Can he do that? Or are you not convinced? Um well I still have some faith. I think he can. Uh there's some games where for some spells of time, Newcastle have really looked good. There's some good results. I mean, it has passed somewhere through the season. So it is possible. Yeah. One of the things we really, really need to do, first of all, is address uh, the attacking threat. If people like San Maximan cannot come back, um, Albiron, uh, Wilson, I think they will be back at some stage, hopefully, before the end of the season. But if that does not happen, in the short term, people like Dwight Gale really need to play. We really need to get... I mean, Joe Linton is good, but I don't think we should place all our hopes on someone whose confidence is so appears to be so low at the moment to help us find that breakthrough. People like Dwight Gale, people like Jacob Murphy, we need to get in there. Uh, the Longstaff brothers, I don't know what's going on. I think Bruce needs to swallow his pride, get back people like Matt Ritchie. Mm. He just has to bite the bullet this time. For the sake of the team, if he's really, really invested in the team's welfare, he has to bite the bullet. Some players have to come back from the cold, and he just has to take that step. I don't know if he's going to go and watch a few football reels or something, but he also has to change his approach. We can't be negative going in for a nil-nil. A point every game, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes he'll just have to go for it. But before those, those three key players come back, he has to bring in some of the more experienced players and he has to change his philosophy. Because I think the squad, no matter how badly patched up it is, I think it still has enough to get us over the line. Okay, thank you. Well, that was a that was a quite negative outlook uh, on the uh, on the on the situation of Newcastle at the moment. But no, thank you. Thanks for talking to us, David, and uh, we hopefully hear from you in the future. And we'll be talking on more happier terms, no doubt. Thanks, Johnny. And a big thanks to David for for joining me there. And it, it was it was um, you know as you can as you can probably tell it's not a good situation for Newcastle at the moment. Lots of things wrong with 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 the football club. And uh, to be honest, from a neutral point of view, I do hope and for David that they can get out of um, out of their sorry state. Anyway, down to our final topic now then, and that's just it's a European roundup, but it's an everything roundup because there's been so much going on, not just in Europe. Well, Scotland is. In Europe, uh, maybe not the Union. There may be more in Europe than we are. Yeah, so we, uh, perfect way, perfect place to start. Then, uh, I mean, there's been a lot going on with Scotland, uh, SNP craze, but we'll 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 we'll, we'll not we'll talk leave about that for it. your other podcast. We'll, yeah, we'll not we'll not go into Sturgeon versus Salmond at this in this one. Maybe on the maybe on one of my other podcasts, but Stephen Gerrard winning winning the Scottish Premier League title, ending Celtic's hopes of winning ten titles in a row and it is a remarkable feat actually um really from Gerard who's who's a novice as a manager in in you know in many ways and you look at what happened with with Frank Lampard at Derby made a really good start to his managerial career joined Chelsea made a really good start to his Chelsea career now his reputation's gone quite a bit because it didn't end too well for him at his uh, at the club where he made himself a legend. Um, should Steven Gerrard ride this Rangers wave for as long as he possibly can? And first of all, what kind of a job has he done? Because this he's, is oh, he's done a tremendous job, job, hasn't he? He's done yeah. a very, very good job. He's, he's turned them into, as well, clearly into more than title challenges, into an imperious side in the Scottish division. And he's, he's, he's also been fairly successful in the Europa League as well. Uh, definitely some exciting games in the Europa League more than anything yeah. uh, so he has done a very good job and I, I would definitely if I was him I'd, I'd be looking to stay at least for another season or two mm. uh, because I mean the grass isn't always greener and he's he's in a good job he's built a good side I think it, it's a good place for him to be Ten, you know, in 2012 Rangers were 
they were moved to the bottom of the they were moved to Scottish fourth division um, mm-hmm. when they had financial hardship they couldn't pay taxes and incredibly Ali McCoy who was manager at the time he stayed with them in the in the fourth division he's a good guy Ali McCoy he's, 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 he's we, a, we do he's a, he's a good commentator as well on uh, Amazon he is a good commentator but you know he's he, he's been loving he's been loving it at the moment because of course he's a big Rangers fan and and he did stay with the club when it got when the guy got tough and he won the fourth tier title, he won the third tier title. Then he ended up leaving because he he had disagreements with the owner. And you know they had a few managers then in between. I think one of the ones that stood out really was Mark Warburton, um, the former. Uh, he he knew where his bread was buttered, but um, uh, but yeah, he was. He Are you going to put in tin laughter for that? <laughs> No. Okay, no. thank you for that. I'm gonna. They won't need it. It'd be. Uh, they'll be. They'll, they'll be doing it so much on the other side. Yeah, I uh, see. Okay, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he manager that had, that came with a lot of promise didn't necessarily work out for him. I mean, the biggest thing that happened for Warburton, I think, was his big fallout with Joey Barton. Who Joey Barton, I think, called him something along the lines of a coward um, when they had a big training ground bust up, and it didn't really work out for him as he'd wanted Warburton. Actually, I don't think. Um, you know, despite his previous successes in the football league. So again, after Warburton left, a few, a few, a few iffy appointments, no one lasting really too long, and then Gerard comes in. Gerard really has; he's been the probably the most, well, he's been the longest serving manager since Ali McCoyst, um, and he looks like that's going to continue as well. Coyce come into the club, really stamped his authority. I think one thing I've noticed with Gerard is whenever he he tackles his pre-match uh, interviews or he, or he's interviewed about the club, you always get this sense of a winner. A no nonsense attitude. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, it's quite different to some managers who can come across quite like they're happy to be. The, yeah, I mean, he's happy to be there, but they can some almost be overawed by the job. Rangers is a big club. There are, you know, it's for, for the first job for Gerard, but he's really took to it as though this is this is his job. He is in charge. He is the man, and and, and it seems to have transpired across to his players. He he, he kind of has the aura about him, doesn't he? As a manager, that, that only a few managers do give off where it, there's almost a confidence in them and you, you know that the players are fully behind them and what they're saying. It's similar to that of Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. You know that the players are, are listening to what he's saying and, and taking it as gospel. And I think that's that's what he's having in, in Scotland and with Rangers. And I, I think that that's something that if he can continue that, it's going to lead to great successes in the future. Yeah. I mean, they've got some really good players. Um, you know, Morelos, Fantastic uh, striker, bit of a hothead, hot but uh, capable of scoring a lot of goals. I think top. that's what, you, what they like to see, isn't it? Rangers, no, so. Tavernier at, at right back as well. Late bloomer as well. I mean, he's, he's got a, he's got double finger goal returns this season. Yeah, um, he is. I mean, he's on pens and free kicks, but either way, it's very impressive. Ridiculous. Isn't it? Uh, level I, I think he did the same last season as well. Yep, yep. You know, remarkable, remarkable. And twenty nine years old. So a bit yeah. of a late bloomer there, I suppose. But he, Scott Arfield as well, former Burnley legend, doing really well for for Steven Gerrard. Then you got youngsters like Ryan Kent as well. So a nice blend of youth and experience. Alan McGregor still at the club. He's a he's a big um, big presence in the in the dressing room as well. So yeah, he's managed to he's managed to find something that's worked. But not not only is the title success obviously something to champion, but the biggest thing I think is the European run that he's gone on this season, which is really you know for Scottish teams to go into the Europa League to the latter stage, it's a difficult task, and they're into the last sixteen now. I mean, and they've been very entertaining, as I kind of said before. There's yeah. some very really high scoring games, which is maybe not what Gerrard will want, and it's not what he's had uh, in the league. He's he's, tried, he's kept the defence quite strong, yeah. but. It's been really entertaining to watch, and I mean, I'm looking forward to watching that in the next round. No, yeah, I'm sure you know they've been a phenomenally well, um, phenomenally phenomenal rise really uh, under Gerard's reign. And yeah, we, I think I think I speak on behalf of at least myself in wishing them the best in, uh, in in future years because you know it's been a very 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 tough decade for them. Last decade was very very tough for many reasons, and and now they're finally back um, really where they belong, and it's good to see. Um, in terms of across Europe, then just uh, just a few, no real specifically again because we had to talk about the uh, the Gerard success, but also a few big games also going on, and also Barcelona's president, new president coming in is, is something to talk about as well. But yeah. we, yeah. So first of all, uh, the Classica, uh, I watched it 
Dortmund uh, Bayern 4-2 Bayern Dortmund 2-0 up two goals from Haaland in 10 minutes Bayern back to 2-2 by the end of the first half and yet you watch the second half and you almost think well Dortmund could take something out of this they defended really well they've been resolute they've held their own in this game um, you know really 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 well drilled performance and then <laughs> in the very very dying embers Leon Goretzka scores a very good volley and then Lewandowski tops off his hat-trick with a lovely finish as well. Um, I actually thought Dortmund played quite well in that game, particularly when Erling yeah, Haaland went off injured. They, they, were, they did all right, didn't they? It, it was beginning to look like the, the Haaland versus Lower show uh, at one point, and I think that Lewandowski kind of just proved his worth. I mean, I saw some tweets at half-time comparing the two, and then obviously Lewandowski <laughs> goes off it and really answers the critics' questions. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a really good match. Actually, I, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, no, it was. It was. Uh, it was I do. I do. I mean, Bayern were restricted to very minimal opportunities in the second half. And one one thing I'd noticed in the past, Dublin got to Bayern lost four nil, five nil, six nil, actually as well in recent years. This was a big improvement on that. There was a lot of character. There was a lot of spirit. There was a bit of a belief. If even if there was an inevitability at the end. It was getting to a stage where you thought they might just hold out for this, you know, because they yeah. didn't really have m- many opportunities. Dortmund were in the deep block. They were they were very well organised. Harlan went off on the hour, which was probably expected because he wasn't quite fully fit. Um, but you thought they might just do it. And it was just a shame, really. Just uh, I think Zach Lowe, who used to, used to who'd been a guest on this podcast before, put something along the lines of... Um, uh, there's no team in the in, in European football that upsets the neutral as much as Borussia Dortmund. I think it's absolutely right. Um, so I was quite sad on that. Um, it came crashing down right at the end. But um, yeah, I mean, and they didn't have Jadon Sancho either. Um, no. So no. difficult for Match. them. But And I think Haaland's maybe just proved even more so that he's going to probably leave this at the, end of, uh, at the end of the season. Unless, as, I, as I've said, Marco Rosa coming in the summer used to manage him at Salzburg. Unless that has an impact, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. And there, the performances are generally improving. They're still not out of the top four hunt, to be honest. Um, there has been an improvement since Lucia Favre has left the club. Um, whether it will be enough to get top four remains to be seen. Competitive Bundesliga League, we will have to see. But yeah, that could have big ramifications on who stays and who goes. Um, and across the Spain as well. Obviously, Barcelona's president in a second, but big Madrid derby as well. Uh, Atletico actually went ahead. Lovely finish, Luis Suarez outside of the boot. Um, Oblak double save. You expect it. Very good goalkeeper. But then at the end, Real Madrid kind of break Atleti hearts. Uh, lovely run by um, Casemiro, making the spare man in attack. Rolls it across to Benzema, 1-1. And yeah, I think they are... Um, I think Atletico might be going out of the Champions League. They might have lost that lead to Real Madrid at the end. They're still probably favourites with the title because they've got a game in hand. And yeah, I mean, it's like Kieran Trippier said. Kieran Trippier said a lot of people whinge about Atleti's style, but if it wins us La Liga, who cares? Yeah. Well, the fans won't. No. <laughs> I'll tell you that for sure. If, if got- they win La Liga, then they'll be over the moon. And they kind of they kind of love the the Simeone vibes, don't they? They just, they exactly, just yeah. anything he does, a bit like me. Anything I say, you know, people just whew, please bowing at the feet with psalms, with psalms, with leaves. I don't know. Anyway, uh, what's the other? I'm sorry, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I forgot you that we were still recording. Sorry, thought you were going off on one again. Oh, right, yeah. One of one of your little. I don't edit these little... out, you know. <laughs> their personality and what or, or the editor can edit them out, but it probably won't because yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So no, uh, new Barcelona president. Briefly, just to finish. But um, so, what do we think? What do we think of uh, the new man? What do we think of Jean huh? Laporta? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's obviously kind of going back to something that they know and something that was successful, obviously. Uh, in the years that he was there, I think he was there from the year two thousand to twenty ten. Am I right in saying? Uh, uh, you think, or you read, or you are reading that he was there from two thousand six to twenty ten. Reading, yes. Uh, you read, depending on the the website that you read, he will um, he will have been two thousand six to twenty ten. Um, yes. So when you say you don't know, 
what you mean is I may have read or I may be reading. Anyway, yeah, he was there when Guardiola was there. I think it's obviously a good move. Any, anyone but Bartomeu, I think, is going to be a good move. Straight away, he's come out and he said that he, he wants to speak to Messi. He wants to speak to Messi's dad and he wants to try and make him sign a contract. Whether that's going to be financially viable is something that's going to be interesting to see and whether Messi wants to stay. And going to be Xavi as well. Yeah. Xavi as manager. Yeah, has he, has he come out and said that? That's, that, that's interesting. interesting. It's interesting. Is there any notes that suggest that he might want to become manager? No. No. For podcast listeners, which is everyone, because we don't actually do the video upload, which is a shame. It's, uh, it is be a shame because we miss out on so much, so much content. Do we? Do <laughs> we? Trying to laugh at you. Yeah, trying to. Please. Your, your partridge, partridge quotes. Anyway, that's that for today. Uh, fantastic discussion in parts. Uh, my thanks to David for... Yes, thank you very much, David. For, yeah, for enlightening me on what it means to have a colleague of good knowledge and insight <laughs> and humour. Um, <laughs> um, so it was nice to, nice to talk to him. It was nice to, nice to talk to, to Jordan and uh, he's, uh, a, 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 a engaged with his views. About. It was really nice of Alan Parge to come on the pod today. It oh, it's great to be here. And obviously, the Johnny Bentley joined us as well at certain points. I did, I did join as well. It's like an out-of-body experience. I just, exactly, yeah. Just morph into Big Alan. Uh, we didn't actually mention Norwich. It's been for Norwich City, but uh, next week, I'm sure we might fit them yeah, in. That's they are doing phenomenally it, yeah. well, actually, championship. in the Championship. So, yeah, be sure, be sure to tune in for Alan's best favourite club next week, as well as... Three other topics in approximately 15 minutes. Goodbye, everyone. Take care and stay safe during these crazy times.